Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast with Dr. David O. Ogaga. I want to start by reading a simple scripture that you know too well. Because you see, just like he was saying, ministry is not necessarily how far you can go. It is whether you are going in line with the Lord. Your reward is not how far you've gone. No. You are rewarded based on living in simple, obedient to the calling upon your life. And that is why you find that somebody like John the Baptist had a major calling and that was to introduce Jesus Christ. And as soon as he finished introducing Jesus Christ, he was out of the way. His ministry ended. Hallelujah. Well, let me look at something in John 6. Let's look at 27 to 29. Okay, 26 to 29 would be okay. John chapter 6. It says, you know, these are people after they fed them with manna, ate all the manna. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, very I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. <laughs> Men love love more than the act of God. Then he said, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you, give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Now look at verse 28. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might walk the works of God? Do you notice anything there? Works of God. But look at the answer. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you may believe on him whom he has sent. Not too many things he asks you to do. He <laughs> said, that you may walk the works of God. So many things. We are full of activities. But we don't know the one we are supposed to be working with. That my work, the works. Can you see the question? What shall we do to do the works of God religiously? He said, there is only one thing you need to do. Only one thing. Just know me. <laughs> because when you get to know him, anything you do, we get the seal of God. He said, because him has God sealed. God has given him the approval. So if he's the one that is approved of God, if you do it according to his perfect example, then you have the seal of God on your life and ministry. This is, it's a simple definition, the work of God. That you may know him. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it has to do with, it should have been evangelism. I mean, evangelism should have been signs of wonders. No, no, it is, no, no, no. Not all of that. One thing is needed. Just know me. And the point is because if you get to know him, then he's going to be the one to direct you to do what will please him and please the Father. And in that regard, you get your reward. Hallelujah. Are you with me? This is the work of God. Praise the Lord. Because like he said in the book of Matthew, he said, and on the last day I will say, go away from me. They will say, did we not do signs and wonders? Did we not do miracles, do healings in your name? He said, go away from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I knew you not. And the workers of iniquity of the world simply means people who did things without being under law. The word iniquity, I've always been defining, is anomia. Anomia means lawlessness. That means you operated a ministry outside of law, which is the law to his own spirit. 
I don't know you, no relationship. So friend, think, think about this. It, it may be glorious, it may be wonderful what's going out there. But if it's not factored in the Lord of Christ, the only certificate you get at the end of the day is, I know you not. Amen? That is why it's imperative for us to observe and to do and to search and to think seriously about the things we're doing. Whether they are factored in Christ or not. It doesn't matter how far we've gone or we think we can go. It is important we realize that it has to be Christ or nothing else. Amen? Okay, let's make some progress here. In 1 Peter 2, I read that just to introduce what we are really going to be dealing with. But in 1 Peter 2, 21, Scripture says, For even hereunto we were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. That is, you follow his steps. You can stop there. Leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Very important. You are not called to follow another man's steps. You are called to follow Christ's own steps. Hallelujah. So we're going to look at some of the examples of Jesus. So that we can truly follow his steps. He has left for us an example that we may follow his steps. Amen. Not the big bishop steps. Not the big apostle steps. Jesus' own steps we must follow. Hallelujah. Let me show you something here. You know something with ministry. Even sometimes with so many things that we do or we're engaged in. Permit me to use the word. We are too much in a hurry. Jesus was not in a hurry to do ministry. That's example number one that I'm going to give to you. He was not in a hurry to do ministry. You may have a call. But when to come into ministry may take several other years. That is what people don't know. And so you've come to the place today where you have people who have, maybe they're just seeing some grace functioning in their life. The next thing they go to feel a sandboard somewhere. Get where two or three are gathered together. And then the church began. I'm not against that. Hallelujah. But Jesus is our example. It takes 30 years for Jesus to step into ministry. But that is not when he was called. That 30 years between he came into ministry was when he was publicly declared. And I'm going to give you examples from that in the Bible. Anyway, let's start reading from the book of Luke. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, this is John Baptist, remember? It came to pass that Jesus also, being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved son in whom I were pleased. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age. As was supposed, the son of Joseph, look what the son of Eli. So when Jesus went to the baptism of John, he was 30 years old. Is that okay? I want to show you something. Go to the book of Luke chapter 1. Back to Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 80. And the child grew. This is talking about John the Baptist. 
and waxed strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his showing unto Israel. The day of his showing unto Israel was when he was 30 years old. Are you there with me? Now, why is this so? Because the law says, you, you go to the book of Numbers chapter 4. Numbers chapter 4. Verse 30. The Bible says, from 30 years old and upward, even up to 50 years old, shall thou number them, and everyone that entereth into the service to do the work of the tabernacle of the congregation. That means, whether you be a Levite, whether whatever capacity you should have been, until you are 30 years old, you can function in the tabernacle. Therefore, Jesus couldn't go into ministry until he was 30 years old. John the Baptist couldn't go into ministry until he was 30 years old. Folks, we are too much in a hurry. Sometimes we rush into these things and things are not supposed to be the way we want them to be. We now delve into so many unscriptural principles to be able to sustain ministry. Hallelujah. The word service is actually the Hebrew word warfare. It means ministry is a warfare. And children are not meant to go to the war front. <laughs> are you there with me? It is mature people to go to the war front. The word service it's warfare. It also means a campaign. Now, politically speaking, you don't see little children going to do campaign, as it were. Maybe to be appointed into office. You see, Paul was speaking and he said, no man goeth at warring at his own charge. First Corinthians 9. I mean, if you understand that. What is that supposed to mean? No man gets into ministry at his own expense. In other words, if you go to ministry, you are not meant to pay yourself. Somebody's going to send you. But you can't go until you are matured to go. Hallelujah. But let me show you something now that will make you understand something better. Jesus, yes, of course, it was 30 years before he started ministry, but that is not when he started ministry. This is when he started what we call public ministry. Is that all right? That is not when he was called. He knew when he was called. Even when he was born, he knew precisely who he was. But let me show you something about Jesus. You know, when you read the book of Matthew, chapter 17, verse 27, there was this point at which they asked the disciples if their master do pay tax. How many of you remember that? Does their master pay tax? And Peter went to ask Jesus. And of course, he said, yes, we do pay tax. But the next thing was, Jesus asked Peter to go and fish and get the gold coin. And you pay for me and pay for them. I mean, for yourself. Remember this story? Good. Now, the tax that Peter paid was four drachma. Four drachma. That was the value of the tax that Peter paid. Now, four drachma tax was meant for youth, not for adults. 
Abdot were meant to pay two drachmas as a tithe, the taxation. Now, for the fact that Jesus paid four drachma of taxation shows he was a youth, and yet he had disciples. Do you understand what I'm saying? Four drachma tax was actually paid by youth below 20. 18 years down are the people that pay four drachmas. 20 years and above, they pay two drachmas. Meaning, all the disciples of Jesus, with which he started ministry with, they were below the age of 18. Record held it that the oldest among them was Peter. And as at the time Jesus started doing ministry, Peter was about 18 years old. Are you following me? It means Jesus have already been in ministry but behind the scene before he came to the baptism of John the River Jordan. When the Lord said, this is my beloved son, that was an adoption in the Jewish context to declare that right from today, you can sign my signature. You are qualified to go into a public ministry. But that is not when he started having disciples. He started having disciples from the age of 12. In the days of Jesus, rabbis have disciples that were called Tamidim. Who wanted to be like the rabbi? The educational system of the Hebrew people is like this. From 4 to 11 years of age, you participate in what is called the Bet Sefer. B-E-T-S-E-F-E. Bet Sefer. And the Bet Sefer, you memorize the Torah. That's from Genesis to Deuteronomy. From the age of 4 to 11, you memorize the book of Genesis to Deuteronomy for the boys and for girls, the book of Psalms. Between 4 and 11. After Beth Sefer, the boys will continue with their study and it's called Met Midras. At the time of Met Midras, this time you are memorizing the prophets and the writing with the interpretation of the Torah and its application from the age of 12. If you fail at this age to continue your study, you go to your father's business. Are you getting that? Then at the age of 12, for you to continue with your mid midras, what you do is to look for a rabbi. And then you go to the rabbi and then you say, I want to be your student, Tamidin. And then the rabbi will question you based on your study of Belsifer from Genesis to Revelation. Your answers will determine whether you qualify as a student to the rabbi or not. If you could pass the text, he will simply say, lick my dust. What that means is, follow me. Because as at the time of Jesus, the roads were not tied. So if the rabbi is walking, the dust are coming out and you are following. So you lick my dust. Follow me. This is what Jesus said when he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Are you getting that? Now, if you don't qualify, you go to your father's business. 
Therefore, people like Simon, people like Andrew, who were fishermen, are simply people who could not qualify to go beyond the best effort in their educational system. They couldn't go to Met Midras to continue the study because at this stage, they have no rabbi. And since they have no rabbi, they have to go to their father's business. And so, in the book of Acts, when this man by the beautiful gate was healed, the Bible says, and they took knowledge that they have been with Jesus. But before that, they said, are this not, this unlearned man, the unlearned man means they couldn't qualify into the midras to have a rabbi. That is why they went to their father's business. So what happened? Jesus chose all the people who could not qualify for the rabbi of his religious days and make them great men. Are you following me? So all the people he picked up were people who could not continue with the studies under certain rabbis. And that is also for you and I, that we were meant to pick men and transform them. Ministry is taking people and making something out of them. Therefore, you do not have to go look for wealthy people. You could get poor people and make them wealthy people. Are you with me? One of the things that, or the question that this student asks the rabbi that they want to follow is, can I be like you? And then they begin to ask them the question. Now, but this is why you need to understand what happened in the temple when Jesus was the age of 12. The Bible says, was well, written with the doctors of the law. How many of you understand that? It means the answers that were given were not supposed to be or accurate. In fact, Jesus was questioning them. It's not as if he was answering questions. He was questioning them because he had already studied Genesis down to Deuteronomy. So when he got to the temple, he was questioning the doctors of the law. You're teaching them, but look at what the scriptures say. Are you getting that? So, your student comes to you and says, can I be like you? You know what Jesus said about that? Matthew 10, verse 24. And then 25. Jesus said, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. Verse 25 says, it is enough for the disciples to be as what? His master. And the servant as what? As his Lord. Are you getting what Jesus is saying here? So what he's saying is like the other question when the disciples come, can I be like you? Because you are meant to study to be like the one that you are studying under. And so Jesus said, yes, it is needful that every disciple must be as his master. So, what happened? Jesus picked these people that have no religious education in quotes and make them to be spiritual giants. In other words, Look at what he said. Instead of, in the book of John, you know what he said? He said, you have not chosen me. I have chosen you. Come on. Did you get that? Why? You know why he made the statement? Because under normal circumstance, the disciples are the ones that go to choose their master and ask the question, can I be like you? But now Jesus is saying, you didn't come looking for me as a master. I sought you out. And I want you to bear fruit and your fruit will remain. So Jesus reversed everything that was religiously okay for his day. But what am I saying? He started when he was at the age of 12. I believe when, as soon as Jesus left the temple, he started recruiting disciples. 
a disciple them for those number of years until the age of 30 when this pronouncement came. Are you there with me? Praise the living God. What am I starting with and what did I say? We are too much in a hurry. We may have a calling, but it will take years for God to put a seal on your ministry. I want to speak to so many of us this day. Don't be discouraged. Just do what you're doing. Is that okay? Just keep doing what you're doing. Be sure God called you to do what you're doing. Just keep doing it. Don't be in a hurry. Listen. When God put a seal on your ministry, the world will hear about you. We are trying to make ourselves popular. But if God tries to make you popular, you're just going to be popular. Let me show you something else. What we are supposed to really have today is what we call mentoring and fathering. The same thing like discipleship. What we really term rabbi or masters as at that time is what today we call mentoring and fathering. First Samuel 10, please. Verse 9. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another spirit, and all these signs came to pass that day. Remember the anointing of uh, King Saul. Is that all right? Okay. And when they came to down to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it came to pass, when all that knew him before time saw that, behold, he prophesied among the prophets, then the people said one to another, What is it that is come unto the son of Kish? He saw also among the prophets. Now verse 12. And one of the same places answered and said, But who is your father? Therefore, it became a proverb. It's all also among the prophet. What I want you to know there is, who is their father? Why do, you, why, do you, why do you need to answer that? Or why do you need to look at that? You know, we have what we call the school of the prophets. And Samuel was one of, if I may use the word, the principal of the school of this prophet. Is that Okay. So the man that was running the school or heading the school was called their father. And so you can see where Elijah would say, my father, my father. Not because he picked him only, because, but because he was also among the sons of the prophets. In Giga and in whatever place. There were two schools there. The point is, if you go back to study our book on who is a prophet, it's about to come out, I don't know when. But I dealt seriously with this point. What you need to understand that the school of the prophet was given to the Samarians, not to Judah. Which is like an assistant because they've left off through worship after the division of the north and the south in the time of Rehoboam. The grace of the school of the prophet was given to the Samaria, which is Israel, not Judah. Is that okay? Good. So the question now is, who is there? Meaning, these people were learning under someone before they finally begin to manifest as what? As prophets. So the question is, who is your father? God has called you, but who is mentoring you? That's a question you need to answer. And it's imperative for you to be under mentorship. Which is fathering. Before, if I may use the word, your 30 year time comes. Are you sitting there with me? Praise the Lord. You know, to a large degree, Samuel became the father of David. Did you get that? He ran there. 
became the father of David. And if you understand something, you find that because David was under the father's covering, there was protection for him. They were coming to destroy him, but anytime they come there, they end up prophesying. Why? Scriptures say, as long as Samuel was standing as appointed of God, even the Philistines could not come to Israel. And so Saul was coming for David, he ended up prophesying. He sent people there, they ended up prophesying. Why? Because David was under covering. Who is your covering? Under whose school or tutelage, as the case may be, are you being mentored? Think about it. Jesus went through this principle in a way under God. Because he has to stay for 30 good years before he picked up ministry. He did ministry for, from 12 to this number of years before he stepped up into public ministry. He did public ministry for just three and a half years. And today we are all still his disciples. Three and a half years ministry. Still affecting the world. Because he did it in due order. Are you getting that? Let me tell you, neighbor, we are too much in a hurry. <laughs> we need to check ourselves again. I'm not saying don't preach. You, you should be preaching, but relax. The business is not your own. It belongs to God. Amen. Just relax. Just do it with a relaxed mind. You will get there. Hallelujah. Number two thing I want to show you is humility. I don't know how long we're going to be able to go. Humility. Praise the Lord. In John 13, you know the story. John 13, verse number 15, down to 17, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. You know the story, isn't it? Good. I want us to read it from the message translation. Uh, and I'm reading from verse number 12, if you will. John 13, from verse number 12. The Bible said, then he said, do you understand what I've done to you? Verse 13. You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That is what I am. 14. So if I, the master, teacher, wash your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. Verse 15 says, I've laid down a pattern for you. Did you get that? What I have done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. Praise the Lord. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it. And what's the next thing that will happen? You will live what? A blessed life. Humility. Bible says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Are you ready? As a minister of the gospel. Even as a husband, as a wife. To be of service. Even if you are a leader. We're talking about seven leadership models. Hallelujah. Who are you serving? As a minister of the gospel. You know, we've grown so thick, so big, that we can't even serve the body. We are called to serve the body. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, Jesus so loved the church that he gave himself for her. In other words, he died for the sake of the church. That he might wash her and cleanse her. Hallelujah. Are you there with me? Who are you serving? How do you relate to your people? How do you relate to the church that you are ministering to? How do you? That's the question. Praise the Lord. Jesus gave us a pattern. You know, in Philippians 2, the Bible says he humbled himself 
to the servant, that of a servant, though he be God, talk it on robbery to be equal with God. You remember that? Praise the Lord. Let's move on. Number three, am I right? Doing the will of the Father. Doing the will of the Father. John 5, verse 30. Praise the living God. It says, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will. But the will of the Father which has sent me. Hallelujah. I would like it in the message. Look at what it said. I can't do a solitary thing on my own. I listen, then I decide. You can trust my decision because I'm not out to get my own way, but only to carry out others. Now, let, let me tell you, the programs you run, who is instructing you? Well, just talk to me. Who is asking you to do some of the programs that you are doing? You do it because you hear somebody else is doing it, therefore you got to do it. No. That is not according to Pablo. You must develop a hearing ear to hear from God. Hallelujah. I seek not my own will. I cannot attempt to do anything without God. Hallelujah. By implication as well, I have him dwelling in me. So all my actions are prompted by he who lives in me. Come on. Are you there with me? Who prompt your actions? Think about that. Hallelujah. Number four. Hearing the Father in decision making is part of what we just read. But I want to pick out something there. John 5 verse number 30. I can on my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And this is very crucial. You need to pay good attention. Because, you see, most of us we base on our decision and even that which you call church discipline on our church constitutions or on what happened in one church and you heard about it and you have the same case now in your church. Now you want to apply what happened in that church to your church. No. Hallelujah. There is that which is called righteous judgment. As I hear, I judge. Isaiah 11. Amen. You know the story, son of Jesse, all of the seven spirit of God. Is that okay? But let's look at verse 3 and 4 of Isaiah 11. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge, listen to this, by what he sees, I mean, by what his eyes sees, or decide by what his ear hears. He shall not judge. Righteous judgment have nothing to do with what you are just told. Or what you've heard people say. Are you there with me? That's what I say, be with righteousness, he judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smile the earth with the rod of his mouth. But let me show you something. Typical examples about righteous judgment. You know the story in John chapter 8 of the woman that was caught in adultery, don't you? Glory. Oh, fine. So, let me not bother to read. But I will read um, 
you know, they came, Moses said, if anybody is caught in adultery, he should be stoned to death. You remember that? Okay. Then, um, I'm going to, okay. Look at verse 6. John 8, verse 6. Look at what it says. This is said to test him. In other words, this is what Moses says. What have you got to say? That he might have some things, I mean, to try to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. As I was, I was studying, the Lord was sharing something with me on this. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw his stone at her. And one more time he bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Let me tell you something. Jesus wrote on the ground. Moses wrote on tablet of stones. What's the difference? The tablet of stone cannot be erased. But on the ground, the wind can blow it away. I was simply saying your sins are forgiven. Are you getting me? You are under grace. There is nothing written about you that can stay. The wind will blow it away. No condemnation. <laughs> are you getting what I'm saying? We're just writing on the ground. We're writing on the ground. The wind will come. Somebody will even march on it. Every record about you that is written on the ground cannot stay, isn't it? So it's like saying, woman, I agree, you sin, but your sins are forgiven you. Go and sin no more. Hallelujah. Are you there with me? Righteous judgment. Not because of what somebody said. Not because of some books that are written somewhere. Not based on constitution. No. Jesus will not judge based on what he's going to hear or what he sees is happening. Because things that are happening have the roots. So it's not going to judge you based on the leaf or the flowers. There is a root reason. There is a motive for every action. You are judged based on your motive, not just the action. Because every action is a product of motive. So when people come to you, something has happened in your church and they come to you, how do you handle it? You begin to make reference to what happened in church A and church B. And you want to use that to judge your church. No, 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 no. That's not a pattern. Are we still here? Let me give you another simple illustration on that. Numbers 15. Very interesting. Numbers 15. Thank you, Lord. Look at verse 32. Numbers 15. Why the people of Israel... Were in the wilderness. They found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made plain what should be done to him. Listen, it had not been made plain what should be done to him. What do you mean? The Lord says he who breaks the Sabbath should be stoned to death. So it is already plain what should be done to him. But here is Moses saying, keep this guy somewhere. I need to know what God has in mind. And the Lord said, that's the key thing. Was the offense committed? Yes. Was there a law that was supposed to handle the offense? Yes. Why would Moses wait? After all, he wrote the law. He gave the law to Israel. Moses was waiting for one thing, and the Lord said. The man shall be put to death. So it is only as the Lord said that the man was put to death. Not because the law was there. So Moses, even who wrote the law, bypassed the law to wait for a present word, which is, how do I put it now? Every word that proceeded out of the mouth of the Lord. The proceeding word. I'll give you another example. 
Leviticus 24. Verse 10. Now, an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went among the people of Israel, and the Israelite woman's son and a man Israel quarreled in the camp, and the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. <laughs> I mean, he was blaspheming the name of the Lord. Is that okay? Okay, and they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelomate, the daughter of Delbiri and the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be declared to them. Glory to God. Till the will of the Lord should be declared to them. The law is already there. If you blaspheme the name of the Lord, what should be done is already written. But they kept him in custody. I'm trying to give you a simple understand, illustration about what Jesus said. I don't make judgment on my own. I judge based on what I hear the Father say. Can you get that? Moses himself was observing that. I'm still asking you the question. When people commit certain crimes in your church, how do you handle the issue? After we've seen Jesus, and now we see Moses. Amen? You can read the rest. Hallelujah. Now, now, now let me show you one typical example that's very interesting as well. In the book of Numbers 27, there were these children, the guests of the Zelophehad, daughters, a man that died, they had only daughters. And uh, this girl came to Moses. Look at what he said. Remember, when it comes to the issue of inheritance in Israel, ladies were not supposed to. Are you there with me? Good. Now look at that. Verse 3. Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died for his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his family? Because he had no son. Give to us a possession among our father's brethren. Moses brought their case before the Lord. Can you get that? Verse 6. And the Lord said to Moses, The daughters of Zelophehad are right. You shall give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren and cause the inheritance of the father to pass to them. This is contrary to what was normal. But God has given the decision. So you watch it. There are issues that may be brought to you. If only you can listen to the Lord, God will give you an answer that is contrary to what is normal. And that is what you must take home and act on. Not what had been there. So these children finally came into possessing the father's property, yet they were girls. Because Moses took the matter before Don't you think even in decision-making, sometimes in church, we are too much in a hurry? You see, <laughs> there is nothing wrong when you look at what other ministers are doing. There's nothing wrong with that. I have no problem with that. But friends, listen to this. Is God's approval on those things that you are seeing? Who said? Where is the dossier of the Lord? Over those things that they are doing that you now want to copy. Amen? So, this get, and, and this tells me something, friends. Listen to me. No matter how bad your situation is, if you can take it before the Lord, you're going to get an answer. These guys were supposed to lose out completely as far as Israel was concerned. But they got the possession because they were bold enough to present their case before God. Anytime you pray, believe God for an answer. Amen? 
Don't know how far I'm going to go. Number five. Let me try to just. Number five. No self-interest to be served. Jesus did not serve his own self-interest. John chapter 8, verse 18. No self-interest to be served in ministry. Jesus is the pattern. Look at what he said. I am one that bear witness of myself. And the Father that sent me beareth the witness of me. Amen. I'm one that bear witness of myself. And the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. What does that mean? In the message it says, And that is what you have. You have my word. And you have the word of the Father who sent me. Now listen to this. In the natural, as it were, in a lawsuit to a large degree, you are not permitted to be a witness for yourself. You have to have a witness. Reason is because you are the one that have the case. So you want to preserve your self-interest by speaking in your favor. So most often self-evidence or witness, there's a big difference between witness. Remember what the witness means? We can have to stand at the witness but to testify about what he knows. So you are not supposed to be a witness of yourself. Are you there with me? Somebody have to be a witness about you and for you. But Jesus said, I bore witness of myself. Why? Simply because I don't have any personal interest. Whatever I say is the truth. I'm not saying it to gain anything. Are you still there with me? What am I saying here? You are not a ministry of self-interest. Is that okay? <laughs> you are not a ministry for self-interest. You are not there to serve your self-interest. You are there to serve the interest of God. Can I hear the man? Praise the Lord. And of course, even in your homes, come to that place where things don't should not be on self-interest. In other words, don't do anything to preserve yourself. Everything you do must be to the glory of God. No self-preservation. Hallelujah. Amen? It says, the Father bear witness of me. Now remember what happened? In Matthew 3, verse 17. This is my beloved son, who I wear please, isn't it? That was a witness. Like I said initially, if you can wait till that point, the God. Now listen, when I talk about waiting initially, it may take just five years, it may take ten years, it may take twenty years, depending on what God wants to do with you. But the important thing is, you got to wait. You're doing what you are doing, but there comes a time in your life that God will make a public declaration. It's not as if everybody will hear. But right at that moment, your ministry goes up. Because you know what he said? This is my beloved son in whom I will please hear ye him. And as soon as he said that, the wind could obey him. The storm could obey him. And he now said, all authority in heaven and earth have been what? Given unto me. Why? Because there was a witness. You must come to the place where God bear witness about what you're doing. Signs and wonders and miracles are no problems when God begins to bear witness about what you're doing. Hallelujah. You will do ministry with ease when God begins to bear witness about your calling. No self-interest. Hallelujah. Amen. Look at John chapter 5 verse 31 again. It says, if I were simply speaking on my own account, it would be an empty self-serving witness. 
but an independent witness that's from message confirms me, the most reliable witness of all. Talking about John again. Somebody else will bear witness about you. Praise the Lord. And you know, sometimes too, some of us, because we are so much in a hurry to do things, we do not have anybody mentoring us, fathering us. We do not have anybody to bear witness on us. Now, you see, Jesus had to, look at it. John, you know, as far as ministry is concerned, Jesus was weightier. But somebody had to bear witness of his ministry, and that is John the Baptist. He submitted to the ministry of John the Baptist in spite of the fact that he was God in the flesh. Because somebody has to bear witness. Who is bearing witness about your ministry? Who has seen what is in you? As long as you are not under mentorship, under fathering, there is no one that can bear witness about what you are doing. And that's a dangerous place to be. Hallelujah. Number six. I want to try to be able to finish it. Verse 29. I mean, John 8 verse 29. Point number six. Jesus the pattern. And he that sent me is with me. The Father have not let me alone. For I do always those things that please him. I do always those things that please him. Ask yourself, are you sure the things you are doing are the things that are pleasing to God? Amen? I, I mentioned here sometime. When we were coming up in ministry, we had a sister in our local assembly that was pregnant. And uh, the Lord spoke to me and he said, you observe a corporate fast in the church because of that sister with regards to the time of delivery. It's like a batting death. So, I called for a, a program. It was a Friday. Accidentally, it was the first Friday of, the, of that month. We went into the program, fasted and prayed. And the next Sunday, we came back. I mean, that's the next month. We came back. And before you know it, it became a program for the church. And people were coming. And people were getting results. One day the Lord spoke to me. I never asked you to do a Friday program. I asked you to pray because of that sister. And it's all over. I came to Jordan and I told him, no more first Friday of the month program. The purpose for which God asked us to do it is all over. It has become our own program now. But we are getting results. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Jesus said, I will do only those things that please him. So no matter how much result, how many results you are getting, is it pleasing to God? Is it God that initiated that program? Or you see people doing, therefore you want to do it. Come on, come on. <laughs> Hallelujah. The message translation says, that's John 8, 18. He, one who sent me, stays with me. That's something you must understand. God is always with you. He doesn't abandon me. He sees how much joy I take in pleasing him. Man, live your life to that point where you will make this confession. Whether you're in whatever you call secular world, marriage, husband, wife, whatever. Come to that place where you can make this confession. God is happy with me because I'm always pleasing him. Are you getting that? He says, how much joy I take in doing what? In pleasing him. That means... Even when some things are not right. Even when some things are not convenient. Even when some things are not supposed to be where they are. But for the sake of the Lord, you just keep on doing what you are supposed to do. Pleasing the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, 
one of the things or the ways by which you come to pleasing the Lord is knowing the will of God for your life. So Hebrews 10 verse 5, the Bible says, Then said I, Lo, I come. This is written in the volume of the book concerning me. I do thy will, O Lord. Amen? To do thy will, O Lord. I'm told my time is up. Give me five more minutes so that we don't come back here in our second section. Come with me to the book of First Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me be a little bit faster. And verse number 4. First Thessalonians 2 verse number 4. But after we're allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so, we speak not as pleasing men, but God, which tried our hearts. I remember on the 14th of July, 1994, the Lord woke me up at about 2 a.m. with this scripture. 14th of July, 1994. Because there was a major decision that would be taken in the ministry where I was laboring. And when the Lord said this to me, I knew my time was over in that ministry. 14th of July, 1994. Not as pleasing man. The Lord will say, you can't do ministry here anymore. Now let me show you something. Read it from the message. It's very strong. Mm. First Thessalonians 2 verse 4 from the message. Be assured that when we speak to you, we are not after crowd approval. Glory to God. Only God approver. Since we've been put through that battery of tests, you are guaranteed that both we and the message are free of error, mixed motive, or hidden agendas. Check your ministry, brother. Check what you're doing. Do you have a mixed motive? Do you have a hidden agenda? Check yourself. In the things you do, Hallelujah. Amen? Now, just go to Galatians 1. Let's see if we can go to Galatians 1. Galatians 1, look at verse 10. Message. So that we can be fast. Look at what it says. Galatians 1 verse 10. Do you think I speak this strongly in order to manipulate crowds? Now, when you do ministry, come on, think about it. When you are preaching, when you are preaching, what is behind your mind? We see a lot of people preach, they try to manipulate the people, especially when it comes to the issue of money. Glory to God. Crowd manipulators. Paul said, no, 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 not part of me. I do that which pleases the Lord. We don't please men. Amen? Or get popular applause. We do things because we want people to heal us. If my goal was popularity, I wouldn't bother being Christly. Glory to God. I will see it together. Check your motives. Check the things you do. What are you really looking for? You know, this popularity thing makes people to go outside of God's will. We've had ministers going to seek powers, going to do things because they want to be popular. What's your reason for that? What do you want in life? Hallelujah. Amen. I think. Can we go from here? You want some more? <laughs> okay, I'll just read on scripture and say one or two things there and then we are done. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Look at 42 down to 43. 
uh, Jesus was doing ministry anyway. He was preaching and, and he wanted to leave the place. And the people said, no, you can go. Just stay on more. Stay on some more. Right? But look at what he said. And when it was day, he departed and went to a desert place. And the people sought him and came unto him and stayed with him that he should not depart from them. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God. <laughs> to other cities also, for therefore I am sent. Glory to God. I must preach. What is that supposed to mean, friends? You must have a specific message. But, in the true sense, it is the message of the Lord. I must preach the kingdom of God. He knew why he came. He knew what he was doing. He knew the urgency of the mission going to him. You must know who you are. You must know why you are called. You must know what he asked you to do. Praise the Lord. For further information and message order, please call plus 234 803 Or you can visit our website at www.gkai.net. God bless you.